Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and the moderator for this meeting. Today is Sunday, July 4th, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, July 2nd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,271. That's 17271. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,272. That's 17272. This morning, A Vision for You presents Freedom Isn't Free. The big book says that our decision in step three to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God has no permanent effect unless we follow it at once by removing the things that block us from God. Food was but a symptom. To be free, more than our compulsive overeating had to be arrested. Our own character defects, our philosophies, our ideas, our belief systems and attitudes had to be confronted and overhauled. Step four and the inventory process of steps four through nine instructs us to look at those manifestations of self-will and take the actions that are indicated because that is our demonstration of our willingness to invite God in. The inventory process enables us to begin to know and understand ourselves and those manifestations which enslave us. The 12-step process is a wonderful and remarkable tool to enable us to see the truth about ourselves, and the truth will set us free. Joining in this morning to share their experience with the inventory process of steps four through nine and the remarkable results which followed are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Panelist number one is Crystal P. from Canada. Panelist number two, Russ M. from Pennsylvania. And number three, Kara L. from California. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome panelist number one, Crystal P. Welcome to the line. Good morning. This is Crystal P., a conference compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Um, just a quick qualification, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous now for a little more than three years. I've been absent and free of the food for the last three and a half years. I came into program at 250 pounds at five feet tall. I was in the ER multiple times, doctors looking at me saying, we don't know what to do with you. You're 30 plus, you're only around 30 years old and your disease is killing you and we can't do anything to stop it. I was an empty shell of a human being, um, spent most of my nights on my couch with my hand in some kind of crinkly bag, and I had no relationships. Other people were in relationships with me. I wasn't in relationship with anybody. Today, thank you, God, for the gift of the steps and for my relationship in the grace of God. 
today I am abstinent and in recovery. Food does not call to me. I don't have to grit my teeth and I don't wake up a single day wishing I was eating anything that I have let go of. I'm in normal body weight and every single one of my relationships is blossoming. I'm in real relationships with people. And today I'm going to tell you about my relationship with my mom, which was completely transformed by the step four through step nine process. So what it was like, what, what my relationship with my mom was like before program, oh my gosh, right from a young age, we were like oil and water. We just didn't understand each other. We were just so different from each other. She was this quiet tomboy and other than the fact that we were both overweight, like I just, I was this, you know, type A, super overachiever, wanting to have intellectual conversations about things. And my mom just wanted to, you know, I don't know, just feed the family. She was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't want to talk about, you know, politics and philosophy and, you know, intellectual things. Or, you know, she didn't want to give me, you know, deep advice on things. And um, she criticized everything I did. Nothing was ever good enough for her. I was never as organized as she wanted me to be. And I was always forgetting things and, you know, and I was I was not like my sister or my cousin. I always felt that, you know, she she just wished that I was a different daughter, that if I could just, like, that I was the bane of her existence, and I, if I could just be a different daughter, her life would be better, you know, and I always looked at my cousin and my sister with contempt because it's like, oh, if I could just be like you, then my mom would love me, you know, and I kept, remember I would make her these, elaborate birthday cards with this like because I was a very artistic person and she she was not and I would make her these elaborate cards for Mother's Day and you know her birthday and Christmas and with all these all this craft work and and she wouldn't appreciate any of it she'd just you know look at the card and be like okay I guess one more card and then look at the mess that I'd made on the table and say well who's going to clean that up you know and it was just always criticism criticism never appreciating anything that I did you know, and later on in life, um, as we grew older, we, we grew very much apart. Like, I came to hate her, hate her with a passion. And eventually that hate kind of simmered into a, you know, just long, drawn-out resentment. And then when I found out that she had um, marital problems with my dad and I found out the extent of their marital problems, then I started to look at her like a coward. She was a sorry excuse for a woman, for a wife, for a mother, and she had not protected me. She had not kept me from the pain of dealing with parents who have marital problems. That was her job, and she didn't do it. You know, and, and it was her job to make sure they had a good marriage, and she didn't do it, and now I'm in this pain and this mess, and she's a coward and, and, and completely incompetent for letting it get there. That's, that was how I saw my mom. Even though I didn't articulate it, that's how, those were the eyes with which I looked at her. When I came through the step four process, I did a thorough and fearless Step four, um, I looked at every single instance of resentment throughout my entire life, and I remembered them all. I could, I could rhyme them all out to you. And what I saw was the themes that kept coming up. I don't trust her. She, like, self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. I have to protect myself from her. I'm a doormat. I'm a doormat. That just kept coming up constantly. You know, and my sponsor had me do this amazing, um, I'm so grateful. So after I wrote the first three columns of my step four inventory, she had me uh, pause and write on these questions from the big book about, um, uh, there were three main questions that really made a difference. It was, she had me look at how did I retaliate and, and did it work? How, did, you know, uh, what did I, what was I getting out of this resentment? And how was my mom like me? 
How was she spiritually sick like me? Those are three questions that made a huge difference for me. And what I realized when I wrote about those before I even got to my step four column was I realized that the way I responded to my mom didn't even work. Like the way I retaliated against her, like I, because of how she treated me, I decided, fine then, I'm going to be really cold. I won't hug you. I won't be affectionate with you. I'm going to withhold my affection from you. Or I would make her jealous. I would, you know, I would run to all of my teachers in school. I would, especially my aunt, my mom's sister, you know, who, um, who all the, all the cousins loved and everybody loved because my aunt was this beautiful, pretty woman and my mom was her, you know, her over, overweight, shy sister, you know. And, and um, so I would run to my aunt and I would make a big show of how these people were my real mom, you know. And, and because she's not a good enough mom to me, look, now I have to make my own mom. Um, so I would make her jealous. And I, I, I'd give her the things that I wanted to give her. You know, I would, I would try so hard and I would give her these cards and all these things that she didn't even want. Um, and I realized that those things didn't work. All I wanted was for my mom to love and appreciate me. And by doing those exact things, it pushed her even further away from me. That My responses were counterproductive. I also realized I was getting a lot out of this resentment. Oh, my gosh. I got to live in self-pity, which meant I got to eat as much as I wanted because look at what my mom did to me now. So obviously that means I get to go eat a bag of chips or whatever else I wanted to binge on. You know, it took away all the responsibility for me to be a good daughter. It meant that I could treat my mom the way I wanted. I didn't have to do my chores. I didn't have to be a responsible um, adult. You know, even as a grown adult, I would live in my mom's house and I would take full advantage of her. She would do my laundry, my cooking, my cleaning. I wouldn't, like, I would eat my meals and I would leave my plate at the dinner table. I wouldn't even take it to the sink to wash it. I would just expect her to do that for me. There were nights I would come home from work. I was living with my mom and dad, and I would just look at her with contempt because dinner was not ready, and I would be angry with her. And there were nights where she was crying as she was cooking while I was watching TV in front of her because, I, because that, that's how I treated her. Like, this is how I treated my mom, and I justified it all because, well, you're not a good enough mom to me. You're a coward. You messed up your relationship with dad. Now I'm in this mess, so I guess you have to make it up to me. That is, that is the entitlement with which I lived my life and the way I showed up in that relationship with her. And I remember when I did my step five, you know, I, I, and I didn't see any of this really. Like it's, I was blind to all of this. And I came into my step five, you know, sitting in my sponsor's house. And I remember it. It was like, it's such a vivid memory. I was so sure. I walked into my sponsor's house know, knowing I was going to talk about my, tell her about my relationship with my mom and my inventory. And I was so sure there were only two outcomes that were going to come out of it. Either she was going to uh, confirm that it was all my fault, I was a bad daughter, and now I need to just live the rest of my life making up for it. Or she was going to confirm that, yeah, my mom was a bad mom, and you just got to forgive her. That's it. If you want to live, just, you know, push it under the rug and, and, and say that was, just look at my side of the street and just accept that, you know, this is who my mom is. And, Draw, you know, draw my boundaries and lines in the sand and protect, continue to protect myself, you know, but, but just move on and, and take care of my side of the street from now on. Those were the only two options I could imagine. I remember as I was, you know, relating to her, each of the instances that I was resentful to my mom, what my sponsor kept saying is, Crystal, do you see, like, look how courageous your mom is. Look how she protected you in this situation. Look how she was so wise and knowing exactly what to do. And then the final boom, Crystal, do you notice, like, your mom has loved you your whole life. She gave you 
everything you wanted. She stayed in a marriage that was so hard for her out of love for you to protect you. She received the scorn and the, you know, she received the insults of, uh, you know, people in my family um, because people in my family judged me, uh, sort of this is just a cultural thing. Uh, I'm from India and sometimes we get judged based on the color of our skin. And my mom would take all of that and she never let any of it touch me. And, and she, was, she, she had been courageous and wise and loving to me my whole life. And I had missed it. I had missed it all. And that's when I remember sitting there and it was like somebody had punched me in the gut because I had, I had been loved the way I wanted to be loved my whole life. And I'd spent 30 years, I'd wasted 30 years missing it. You know, and, and that was when I, when I went into my step six and seven, we identified four major patterns with my mom that apply to so many relationships, but especially with my mom. If love doesn't come to me in the exact package I'm expecting it, it is worthless. It is useless to me and I cannot receive it. Second, I make myself a doormat by the way that I view every situation. The way that I tell what I tell myself in my head makes me a doormat in every situation. Nobody else can make me a doormat but me. And then the third pattern is, you know, when I do it, it's fine and cute and really, you know, you should excuse me because of this and this, this reason. But when someone else does it, I will nail you to the wall until I feel that you've been punished enough. You know, like, I, I, it hit home for me. You know, what, what my mom had done to me, I know how horrible it felt when I thought that my mom wished I was a different daughter, that she wished I was my cousin. You know, and she didn't do that intentionally to me, but I did it intentionally to her. I purposely made her feel that I wish my aunt was my mom, that I wished all my teachers were my mom. You know, and I, and I pushed, probably hurt her very deeply because she spent her whole life with people telling her, oh, my gosh, your sister's so beautiful and lovely and wonderful, and, oh, you're this quiet, shy, tomboy, overweight woman. You know, and, and I did that to her, and I hated the fact that I did that to her. You know, and the other thing I did was I realized another pattern for me. I'm not a sincere person. I do things for the outcome. All those cards I made her, all the times, you know, I tried to, you know, do nice things for her, I never did it for her. I did it because I was, trying to, I was trying to fix this relationship. I just wanted her to like, treat me the way I wanted to be treated. And she knew it. Nothing I did was ever sincerely for her. It was always for the outcome that I could get. And when I saw that, it finally, finally, those patterns became objectionable to me. And I didn't want to be that person, whether or not it changed my relationship with my mom. Whether or not I received you know, the love and the way I wanted to get it from my mom, I just didn't want to be this kind of person anymore because it is a sad, sad life to only be able to receive love when it comes in the perfect package that you want it to come in and you cannot appreciate it in any other form. It is a sad life to spend your whole time thinking that, you, that other people are making you a doormat when you are the one doing it to yourself. It is a sad life when, you know, um, you cannot do anything sincerely for somebody else just for the joy of doing it when your only validation comes from the outcome that you, that you get out of doing the actions you take. I didn't want to be that person anymore, and I was willing for God to remove it. And that's when I was ready to move into my step eight and step nine, which has been just incredible. Like I remember, you know, when I did my main amends to my mom, you know, first of all, I had this humongous list of wrongs, humongous and thank you, God, I didn't spend hours relating that whole list to her because I knew 
you know, she would hate that. My mom would hate having an hour-long conversation with me where I was like, you know, remember the time I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that? Oh, I'm really sorry. You know, she would hate that. In fact, it would just drudge up all the past and it would make her really sad. And I didn't want to do that. And I was so grateful I had a sponsor who guided me to make sure that my amends were not about making me feel better. My amends were about making it right with my mom. So instead of listing out all the things, you know, which I knew I did wrong, instead I said to her, Mom, you know, you had been and you still are a courageous, loving, smart, intelligent woman. And I'm so sorry I never really appreciated that. You know, thank you. Like, you know, you never gave up on me. You, even though I treated you so badly, you just continued to love me. Thank you for doing that for me. You know, and I just want you to know how much I love and appreciated you. And, and from today, I will, I will do, you know, I hope you know how much I love you and I will treat you right from now onwards. You know, and I was amazed. You know, my mom, she didn't say to me, Crystal, you know, that really hurt my feelings. And thank you for saying this to me. My mom said, what are you talking about? There's nothing to forgive. You know, I'm so grateful to God who gave me two beautiful girls and you, you girls were so good. And I'm so proud of you for everything you've done. And, I, and I'm sitting there amazed because if I had done to my mom what she did, like, I'm sorry, if, she, if my mom had done to me what I had done to her, I would have held on to every single grudge. And if she came and apologized to me, I would have milked it to the last drop. And here she is telling me what a wonderful daughter I was and, and what a wonderful life God had given her and how she can only be grateful and, and can, uh, cannot ask for anything more. I'm like, who is this woman? And I remember I came home to my, you know, called my sponsor. I'm like, what an amazing amend. And like, look at what my mom said. And I'm like, I don't understand. She's not in program. Like, how did she change? How did she become so wise and grateful and peaceful? Like, but she didn't even have program. How did, how did she do that? And my sponsor was like, has it occurred to you that she didn't change? That she was always like this? You just missed it. You just didn't see what a wonderful, grateful woman she was, how wise and courageous she was. And today I do. You know, today I do. Thank you, God. And just this past weekend, you know, I went over um, to my boyfriend's house. I met his mom and dad for the first time. And he has a lovely mom. And his mom and dad, I don't know, I've never met anyone like them. Like they have a, they have like a wonderful marriage where they, you know, they're, they're still like in love with each other and they have a healthy relationship and they talk about things and they go on dates and, you know, and his mom is this like wonderful mom, the kind of mom, like, you know, like if I pre-program, I would have said, she's a mom that I never had. You know, she like goes for manicures and pedicures and like we can talk and laugh together and you know, we can, uh, she, she's the kind of got mom that gives you like advice about things and, you know, um, can, can, you know, just have these emotional conversations and talk for hours, you know, and it, it, if it hadn't been for my amends in step four through nine, I would have come home. And the first, you know, the thought that came to me when I came home was, wow, I wish she had been my mom, you know, like, and immediately because of this process, my next thought was, no, she's not my mom. She didn't spend 30 years living with a selfish, compulsive overeater and loving me anyways. She didn't make the sacrifices that my mom made to me. She didn't live with a daughter who had a different love language from her, who had a different way of expressing her love and just different way of thinking altogether and just love her anyways. You know, my mom, yeah, she doesn't get manicures and pedicures and yeah, we don't go shopping together or have long talks together, 
but she spent her whole life loving me. Until today, she loves me to death. You know, and I'm so grateful, and I don't want any other mom but her. You know, and I know today that I'm not a doormat. You know, my mom, she, she's an Indian mom, you know, and I don't know if anyone, like, you know, she'll do these things where, some, like, she'll sometimes use, like, you know, some guilt and manipulation sometimes with me to get me to do things that she wants me to do. And, you know, in the past, I would, like, I would put up all these walls and draw all these lines and, you know, set my boundaries. And, and today, you know, I realize I don't have to protect myself from my mom. First of all, I don't have to protect myself from anything. God is my protector. I am the worst protector of me. I, of all the people that have tried to protect me, I am the worst. But God is the only one who protects me, and I don't need any other protection. And second of all, I don't need to protect myself from people who love me. My mom loves me. There's no protection needed. And today, I am not a doormat with her. In fact, I am a welcome mat. And, you know, if she calls and says, Crystal, can you please help me? And she's upset if I cannot help her, or, you know, she pushes back on me, or she wants me to do things that I don't want to do, I don't draw lines in the sand. I just help her anyways. Because I can be kind and I can be helpful, even if she uses some guilty manipulation sometimes. So what? I love her. And if I can be a good daughter to her and, and be loving and kind and helpful, I will. Because I love her and for no other reason. Not because she forced me to do it. Because I am not a doormat. I am a welcome mat. This kind of transformation, this is not a behavioral change. This is not some kind of self-help. You know, I could not have done this. And I didn't wake up one single day saying to myself, today you're going to be patient, today you're going to act like a good daughter, today you're going to do service for your mom. I didn't do any of it. I just worked the steps like my hair was on fire, and God transformed it. And I'm grateful that I never acted like anything with my mom, because I'm the worst actor ever. Like, I am such a ham. Everybody knows when I'm acting, you know. And I'm so grateful. This comes from my heart, because the change happened from the inside out. And when that happens, usually I'm the last person to notice. Other people notice the change before I do. And I'm so, so grateful for these steps and the relationship that I have with my mom today. It is blossoming and grooming and every day going into something that I could never imagine for myself. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Crystal P., for such a beautiful share. Now I welcome panelist number two, Russ M. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Um, Russ M., Recover Compulsive Overeater outside of Philadelphia, PA. Um, so it's, uh, only through the grace of God, the 12 steps, um, I'm free from compulsive overeating for about four and a half years. And, um, you know, I, like everybody else, uh, I'm sure that's on this line. My life was upside down, train wreck wired this way. Um, you know, I want to make excuses about being molested or coming from alcoholic family or addiction runs in our family. Uh, when I first came in the program, you know, that was my crutch. That that's why the way I am. But you know, the more more I've gone through program, working with others, just immersing myself in in this, living this way of life, I realized that that was all crock of baloney, and I'm just wired this way. This is who I am. And it just happened to be food, and I'm a I'm a junkie, and I'm an addict. And through this process, the the inventory process, this is where I really saw all that. You know, a lot of it uh, it continues to come up because in in the steps, you know, we're rehashing four through nine with our tenth step, and you know, you got to do them frequently. I have to. I don't know about anybody else, but I have to. 
so what like what were my old ideas what what dominated my mind was that you know at a young age i thought that i had to take care of myself i had to be self-sufficient and in that that you know life had to go my way 100 percent. there's no no room for failure there's no budge that i have to compromise with others i just i had to get mine i had to be protected insecurity uh that I, I needed to take care of myself. Um, I mean, really, it's 100% selfishness if, 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 if we look at it. You know, I'm self-centered. Um, anybody that worked with me or anybody that lived with me or anybody that knew me knew I was self-centered. Uh, I mean, it's just the way it was. That's how it was. The only one that didn't realize it was me. And... Um, You know, you wonder why your relationships go sour when you're always taking, you're sucking the life out of relationships and you're walking on people. And like, that's a natural way of dealing with people. That's how my whole life went. And, uh, and the gist of it, the bottom line is fear and insecurity and that fear breeds resentment. And we know, you know, resentment is the number one offender. You know, I, I wasted, whew, so much time obsessing over people that hurt me. And I'm sure they didn't, you know, they weren't worried about me obsessing about them. And when, when I would go through the inventory process, you know, the first time I went through the inventory process, uh, wrote all the things, my resentments and my fears and my sex conduct, but it was slanted. And I was justifying my behavior. But it, it did happen. You know, these things did happen. I did resent these people. But this is the reason why, because I had to protect myself. It wasn't, I was always justifying myself. About a year later, my sponsor and I worked through them again. And it was, I could see the veil was off my eyes by working the program that, you know, this was a lot of stuff I set up. A lot of this I, I did because I didn't have the basic emotional tools to deal with people. It's just me. That's who I was. That's how, how I was built. That I couldn't, um, uh, oh man, I forgot to start my timer. We're going to be here till tomorrow. So we know we got about three minutes in there, but, uh, but the bottom line is this, is that I got, I got the ball rolling. It was my behaviors because I was, I, 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 uh, I was emotionally immature, whatever way you want to say it. I, I didn't, I guess I didn't trust God with my life. So I was, I was grabbing everything on my own, trying to take care of myself. I mean, that was for my whole life. I was never content. And my gratitude was always temporary. It was never really sincere. And never, like, I never really saw the good in situations. I only saw it from Russ's perspective. And... Uh, it's always confusion, blaming everybody, you know, that chaos that they say in the big book. I created my own things, you know. I, it was a mess. It was a mess. And until, you know, <laughs> until you almost lose everything, right? That, Russ, star one to unmute.
Let's give Russ a minute to return to the line. Sorry about that. I got disconnected. Okay. that Philadelphia prepaid cellular, you know, I'm on stolen old plan. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so the, the the gist of what I was saying, I set I set I set myself up by not being able to handle life in general, and I had I had this. My gratitude was never like long standing. It was always like fake. It was never like I could really never get to the bottom of it uh, because I was I was screwed up, you know, emotionally I was screwed up, but I couldn't see it any other way because, you know, I'm Russ, I live in Russ's body and Russ's mind. I can't see anybody else's perspective. I was just selfish. You know, a lot of that comes from fear and resentment and these things overlap things. Okay. So when we go through this inventory, when I went through this inventory process, like I said, the first time was like kind of justifying, but it still did the trick because I was in, in, in the process. Second time I went through it, I could see it truly with, with clear eyes because I'm out of the food. I'm working every day on the spiritual program of action. So that self-seeking is, you know, my my self-centeredness is reducing. It's not fully gone, but it's reducing. So now I'm saying, yo, dude, you set this up, man. How how can you be resentful with someone that retaliated to you when you just treat them like garbage and you bulldoze them? So... You know, I ha- I, I, I'm starting to see it with better eyes and see where I played a part in it. And the kicker is 98.99%, whatever it is, is it, it, I don't want to just say it's my fault. I set it up that way. You know, if, if, if you open a faucet, hopefully water's going to come out. What's the most common thing? Water comes out, right? If I set up a situation to, to create chaos, I, it's going to be chaotic. So um, that was my life. And, you know, my sponsor, the thing I love about him is that he just didn't pull no punches. He ain't here to baby me. He's here to say, yo, this is what you need to do better. This is how it's done. And stop talking, which, you know, if anybody knows me, it's hard for me to stop talking. So that's why I got a timer. You know, uh, that fact-finding, fact-facing process. What is the causes, conditions, the things are root core of why I'm crazy? Why I have the issues with addiction and people and life and not trusting God. What are the issues, man? And why why am I getting in the way of my relationship with God? So that's that's what the inventory process did for me. Just to see it with new eyes. And in the you know, it, it, for me, it was the, the I got this from an AA speaker and it just rings so true for me. The quickest way to humility is humiliation. And when I put that stuff down and I start started working on this stuff, it's like, dude, it's humiliating that I can't be like a regular person. I can't be effective. I'm behind. I can't, I can't never react sanely to like, a, you know, I, I stub my toe. I'm going to beat everybody up. You know, you can't live that way. Little small things. And then the big things I would just shut down. Had no life. I was losing everything, right? So this process stripped me bare, and I had to deal with these issues that, you know, I, I was medicating for. 
Now, the amends process, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the fifth step. When I got to that, it really wasn't hard because I was, I was fatigued. I was done. I had to get this stuff off. And I would have done anything to, to really get free. You know, uh, like when we agnostics, you know, I was reasonable. I was beat into it. You know, I was, I would have done anything. And it's not, I'm not saying that, that it came easy to me. I was just done. So I, I, I did, I did the, uh, the fifth step and there was a freedom there. There's, it's like a weight of life. These things I've held on to for my whole life, all the mistakes, all the emotions, all the fears, the people that I can't stand. I got to vocalize it. I shared it with God and another person. And, you know, it, it, it's like the weight of the world is off your back. And it was really freeing. It really helped me out a lot. And I, you know, I saw, saw a lot of, you know, me, me, my, my, my issue. Not, not so much the other person, why I resented them, but, you know, whatever happened in the situation. But why? Am I resenting this person? Why does it make me, why do I fear these things? What's the root of it? The root of it is that, you know, I ain't trusting God with my life. That's what the fifth step really did for me. They opened my eyes that, like, I don't trust God, man. I don't trust him. I don't trust the higher power. I don't, just who I am. And then working through the sixth and seventh, you know, you really fine-tooth comb. You know, I got to be thorough. I got to be like, look, you know, where am I a not great person? Where can I improve? You know, how, uh, if, if I don't look at these things, if, I, if, I don't, if I'm not aware of where I'm hurting people or what I can do better of myself, I'm never, I'll never be a regular person. I'll never be able to do the basic things of life because I'm suppressing a lot of things. I'm not, I'm not being truthful. So it's going to boil over in emotion. You're just not going to be able to get things done. And then, you know, our amends, that was hard. It was hard. Financial amends, <laughs> amends with the mother-in-law. Now we're, now we're BFFs. You know, it's going pretty well after four years. I can't believe it. We fought for 20 years. But it, it, it took, you know, I just had to do it. You just have to do it. I couldn't think about it. You know, I asked God into it. Every little situation, and I try to do that with life in general, ask God into everything I'm doing. But those amends, things that I thought could not be salvaged, you know, I'm only looking at it with you know, regular eyes, you know, just a regular person, tunnel vision. You can't believe the blessings that have come from those amends. It's, it, it's crazy, and it's not just for Russ. It's not just Russell. I got something out of it. It's everybody involved. Things are better all the way around. You know, it's like like a trickle-down effect. Now, my relationship with my wife, we worked through our things. You know, worked through our issues. We, You know, she was going to leave me. She's gone. She said, see you later, bro. She was rolling out with the kids. I got five kids, man. If things are going well and... We're working through it, and we're trying to work at our relationship. And I'm seeing my own, what 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 I can do better. I can't judge my wife because, you know, you get in the program, now you know it all. You, you, you take everybody's inventory, and you can teach them how to get free, which is BS, bullshit, baloney. I got to worry about me. 
I clean my side of the street and we, we continue to work at our relationship, the kids see that. Then there's a, there's a, uh, you know, they're, they're growing spiritually. And then I made amends to my children and our relationships are developing. And I got a lot of time to catch up with. And I, you know, I pray that, you know, I could be alive to get all that done. You, you don't know. So I do best every day. And I try to live this life, live this lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not going to divert from it. And it is, you know, this freedom is not free. Like the topic, the, the heading of this talk today, you know. We got to do the hard things. I have to do the hard things. This is not just merely about, oh, man, I'm out of the food. Look at me. I'm slim on my new life. I have this business. I have these. No, 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 no. For me. Because that's, that's all, you know, the superficial stuff for me. I was dying. I was dying all the way around. I had nothing to live for. I asked God many times to take my life. And, um, you know, this, this way of life is the only solution I've seen in my life. Only thing that, not that it's worked, that it's made me fruitful. It's the, these hardships are coming. You know, life sucks sometimes, but, but I, I, I'm useful and I'm able to help and I'm able to live free, not just of food, but of chaos and confusion. When life throws, throws, you know, throws the book at you. When it beats you up, you know, I'm not a train wreck. I'm there. My wife can trust that I'm going to be there. My friends, my my kids, you know, they know that they can trust their father now. And that that's what it's about, being useful and effective. To serving someone else. For 45 years, I served myself. And I hurt a ton of people along the way. Now, Now I have a chance to, you know, you know, I wanted to be great in the world's eyes, and you know, you want to have everything. We're regular people, right? I want to have money. You want to have the power. I want to have things, but this process has stripped me to be good in God's eyes. That's what I'm looking for. I'm going to be great in God's eyes, even if I'm just a regular dude. You know, it's it's okay. I'm allowed to be, and that I can be able to trust God with every aspect of my life, and that's this is what this four through nine has done for me. It's it's given me a, a a freedom, just you know that I'm going to get through life. You know I'll get through life, and I'll be able to serve someone else. Just to serve someone else, I, I ain't looking for nothing in return. You know the life I have now is pretty. It's pretty good. We don't have all bells and whistles, but man, it's it's pretty damn good, and it's only because of these this way of life and I, I can't divert from that because I don't want to go back to that chaos. I don't want to be hurting people for the rest of my life. And it's given me a purpose to help someone else. That's, that's the key of it, right? Get out of myself, be closer to God and serve others. So thank you for letting me share. I appreciate it. And uh, don't ever give up. The freedom is definitely in this book. You can do it because it's going to bring you to God. It's going to bring it to God. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Russ M., for your heartfelt share with all of us. Next, I welcome panelist number three, Kara L. Good morning, my fellows. This is Kara L., recovered compulsive overeater from Long Beach, California. 
Uh, thank you for my uh, the two previous panelists. Um, what a beautiful thing to hear this morning before I begin. Thank you so much. Um, I am a recovery compulsive overeater. Uh, I've been part of these rooms for 18 years. Um, in the last couple of years, I've really seen some emotional rearrangements, as it says um, in our big book, and um, really come to a new life and understanding for myself and that allows me to be of service in the, uh, to my friends and my family and my fellows. And um, I'm going to dive in here about, you know, what it was kind of like, what, are, you know, my old ideas and emotions and attitudes, you know, what grounded me in life was the idea that I had to figure everything out by myself. That was it. I had to figure it out. Uh, if I didn't figure it out, I wouldn't be loved and accepted, um, that I couldn't be successful without figuring it out. Um, and if, you know, if I wasn't loved or accepted because I couldn't figure it out and I wasn't doing it how you wanted me to do it or how I thought it should be done, that I couldn't be loved. And that it would just confirm that I wasn't enough in this world. Um, I'm finding today that most of the time when I'm deserved, uh, disturbed, it's because I I don't feel like I'm enough, that I can do enough. And in my, you know, in, when I walked into the rooms, you know, I had this idea of, of my, you know, God that was just, there was a God, but just not interested in me in my life. Uh, there was a God of my childhood that was big and did things big, but could never be interested in me or my food. You know, and how these ideas held me in bondage was, you know, I did for others what they could do for themselves. You know, I, 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 my children, I did for them and I, and I thought I knew best for them and I had to figure out their lives so that they could, they could be happy. I thought that I, I had that power, you know, with my um, husband, I assumed I knew best. I undercut everything that he said and did, you know, I was the authority because I had to be, or I couldn't be enough, you know, at work. Oh, when I worked, yeah, I did well at work, but I always took on too much. You know, I was constantly afraid that they would find me out, that I wouldn't be enough. And that if, if you only knew me, so if I did enough, if I if was organized enough, if I, if I just figured out whatever you needed, then I would be okay. Um, of course, this led me to being judgmental, bossy, and taking everybody else's inventories, right? Well, look, I'm working hard. I'm doing this. Why aren't you guys doing this? You know, you, you aren't, I'm not getting the outcome I want by putting in all this work. So it must be your problem because I figured it out. I know how to work hard, right? Um, oh, and then if I wasn't, if I wasn't judging you, if I wasn't taking your inventory, I was seeking your approval. You know, I was, I was so in self that, that I had no like conception of, of just, you know, being approved, you know, I did just how I felt good about myself was what I thought you thought of me, you know, it was so distorted and in so much self and self-centered and I just didn't know how to move and I was just doing the best I could and I couldn't figure out why you know, everybody let me down. 
and I couldn't figure out why I would work so hard at work and then I would get overwhelmed because, you know, nobody appreciated all the hours I was putting in and I couldn't figure out why my relationship with my husband was so sour, you know, and I, and I, and, and I just was like, this is the only thing I had to do. And so I tried harder and I put more effort into it and I tried to, to figure it out more and it just collapsed, you know, to where when I walked in the rooms, you know, I'd asked my husband to move out. He had been out. Um, I was a screaming shrew of a person with my children. You know, friends, what did I use friends for? To tell them about the accomplishments of my children and myself. And I never asked about them. I never listened, you know. And um, I just remember like, I just remember like, you know, I would be talking to a friend and, and all of a sudden, you know, I realized that the whole conversation was about how wonderful my children are. They would tell me something they were struggling with and I would just tell them how wonderful, you know, I would I would be proving to them, you know, how wonderful I was. And so when I walked in the doors, I was pretty broken. And um I couldn't I would I would I had been able to diet in my you know, my previous life until the morning I got up and I was like, I just, I just, I can't do it. This is my morning. I woke up and I had a, a diet breakfast and then I would say, this is the day and I would continually eat all day and then I would have remorse in the evening and I would promise in the morning it would be different and I would wake up and have that diet breakfast again and I would live in that pain like a groundhog day over and over again. And, you know, demoralization, I, I just, I just didn't, I just was so convinced I was right about everything. I was so convinced that I needed your approval or I wouldn't be enough. It, it, you know, so when I worked these steps, you know, I, when I got to see this, you know, step four, I got to put everything down on paper and see these things. I could see the trends. You know, it was right there in black and white. I don't know what to do about it, but it was there. You know, and with five, I had a loving sponsor who was a witness to it at all, who gently guided me, who never judged. You know, um, the sponsor helped me be present. I, I call my sponsor my light, my light. I don't know why that, it just, that's what it feels like. My sponsor brought me light. You know, step six was just being present with it all and allowing for the possibility that something greater than me could help me. But on my own, I had made a royal mess of things and that something greater cared enough and loved me enough and would help me. And in seven, I asked for that help. What is that? I don't know what I'm doing, and I need help. And one of the things, one of the biggest spiritual moments in my life in this program that just made a huge change for me was I just remember I had been writing up an inventory. And again, it you know, I could see where I was approval seeking. And 
And I just heard this, this voice and, you know, through my being, you know, this communication of, am I not enough? And in that moment, in that moment, I knew, I knew the only approval I ever needed was from my higher power. That moving forward in life, that was the only thing I did. And if I was going to move, I was going to ask how I could, how I could be of service to my, my higher power. How would, that, how would that look? And I came in step seven when I asked for that help. Eight, you know, I got an opportunity in step eight to see where my old behaviors and beliefs, these grounding forces, you know, my, my roots that I thought were my roots in the world, I got to see how they hurt other people. I got to see how when I thought I was doing, doing the best for somebody, when I thought I was serving them, how really I wasn't, you know, I, you know, how, and then, and then in nine, I got the opportunity to clean that up, you know, to, to clear those blockages to my higher power, you know, and the freedom from that, you know, I, I went back to a person I hadn't seen in 32 years and now we have regular contact and now, you know, it's this beautiful, friendly relationship and I, I couldn't, I can't believe it, you know, with those amends, things that I didn't think were possible happened. Relationships were restored, you know, um, today, you know, what, what, how do I act on this today? Well, you know, I ask God's input for everything. My higher powers and, 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 you know, I've said this before and, and some of you might've heard me say, I didn't ask God, you know, what's for breakfast? What should I wear today? You know, what do you think about this? And I just, I asked for intuitive, you know, an intuitive thought and inspiration or decision. And today I just let it go. And I just say, okay. And I just go whatever feels intuitive, right? I've asked for help and I trust it will come. I pause today. Um, I always thought I had to have the right answer. I had to know how to do it perfectly. And I would just jump in there. Today, I stop and I say, what do you think, God? I, I don't know the answer here. Please give me, you know, intuitive thought, inspiration, and decision. Um, I read somewhere in our literature that about a person who was working step three and decided just not to worry about it as working step three. And I was like, oh, so today, I, you know, when I'm upset about, you know, decision, I just ask for help and I say, I'm just not going to worry about it in this moment. I'm going to pause and trust that my higher power is going to give me guidance, you know, the help that I've asked for. On those days today when I feel like I'm not enough, I'll stop and I'll ask my higher power, am I enough? Because that's the only place I need to ask that question. The only approval I seek today is from my higher power. You know, am I enough? And I always hear, you know, I always get that feeling of, yes, yes, when you are perfect as you are and as I need you in this world. And I take that breath and I move and I try to be of service. You know, when I'm when I'm being humid and human and I and I tread on the toes of others, I do step ten. 
I jump into that, you know, that inventory process again, because it has been pivotal in my recovery. Um, one of the things in, in our inventory process that has really was so beautiful for me was the fear inventory, getting all of that out on paper and me and, and then the prayer at the end, God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to whom you'd have me be. And then I just write back for my higher power. And what I always get is super loving and kind and directive. And it, I did that when I did my fifth step with my sponsor. I did that prayer after every single fear. And I wrote out everything from my higher power. And I started with my name. And then I just wrote. And today I do that almost on a daily basis because that for me, it's just so beautiful. And it just, it just really, really changed my view on life and how I can move. I can go from you did this to me to, oh, what have I done here? And I need to make amends. It is, that prayer has given me compassion. Instead of taking your inventory, I have compassion for your situation. And it allows me to be of service today. That prayer, I think, is one of the most pivotal things in my recovery today. I, you know, I just, you know, closing up here, I just want to talk about a little bit. One of my favorite pieces of the big book is in more about alcoholism. And it's, and it's Fred's story. I love Fred. You know, Fred is this guy that starts on page 40. This guy who's just got everything, right? And he, he goes, oh, self-knowledge will get me. You know, I've been, you know, and, he's, and he says, you know, I, you know, I, it says here in the middle of page 40, chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking. That was me and my food. Who exhibited splendid judgment and determination, all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back, nevertheless. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't do it. And then, you know, we hear more about, you know, Fred and then, and then it says, you know, one of my favorite pieces is, is, you know, of course it doesn't work. Right. We, you know, he, we get to read his story and how it doesn't work. And then, and then he's down and out in the hospital and two guys come to visit him. Right. And they grinned which he didn't like so much. It was one of my favorite lines. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought an, I was an alcoholic and really licked this time. I just, I love that picture in my head. And, you know, he, he, he says, you know, this, this, this program of action, through, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw, to throw several lifelong concepts, conceptions, out the window, you know, and, and that for me today, when, when um, Leah gave me the topic today, I could just, I kept hearing that line for the big book. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. It's on page 42, by the way. And, and today that's what I, I, I think about, like, what is my, what is my conception here? How am I looking at this? You know, how can I, how can I, you know, reach out to my higher power and say, you know, how can I be of service here? You know, give me intuitive thought, inspiration, or a decision, you know, pause, 
and breathe and know that in my higher power's eyes, I am enough. And that's all the approval I will ever need today. And with that, I pass and thank you so much. Thank you, Kara L., for your beautiful share. Thank you to all three panelists this morning for sharing about your changed ideas, attitudes, and emotions as a result of the work of the step process, four through nine, the inventory process. Thank you so much for your sharing of your profound transformations with all of us. The share ID for today's presentation, 17,281. That's 17281. Alice will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll stay tuned for that, please. We will now transition to question and answer segment with our panelists. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Miriam Rifka H. Miriam Rifka. Star one. Melissa, Melissa C. Hey, Melissa. Lisa B. Cheryl P. Lisa B. Cheryl P. Cheryl P. Carrie Jean B. Carrie Jean B. Is that right? B is in boy. Yep. Excellent. Okay, let's get started with this group. Beginning with Miriam Riska H, please. Good morning. This is Miriam Riska H in New Jersey, compulsive eater. Um, Thank you all, um, all the panelists. That was really fantastic. I identified so much with what each of you said. I have a general question just for everybody, like for anybody, rather. a lot of the issues identified by by, by the panelists, I I've been the same way. Because I should be just one minute. Um, and I I find like I, I, let me start. With, let me also qualify that I'm in step five now, after a relapse, and I've been through the steps several times. Um, but I've never felt like I've had the the level of recovery that I hear in your voices. And one thing that I've identified is a lot of issues that I've had, a lot of resentment. I I kind of thought I had come to acceptance of these people situations um and in reality i was kind of i think i was kind of only just like pushing it aside pushing the pain inside and pretending that i was accepting it um just wondering if anyone's experienced that or has anything to you know to say to that issue not really kind of only almost pretending that i had that recovery and and instead was really just like pushing it down and i'll i'll mute myself thank you any panelists want to respond to Miriam Rifka's question? Hi, Leah. This is Crystal P. I can respond. Please go ahead, Crystal. Uh, thank you so much, Mary. Um, I You know, what, what you talked about really reminded me of um, my amends to my dad. 
you know, I, I did my full step four and step five process on him and I identified all the patterns in my relationship with my dad and I got to, you know, um, the place of saying, okay, God, please remove this resentment from me, remove these patterns. And, um, and now I started to, I, was, I started to write out my amends and I, you know, talked to my sponsor about them and, uh, we'd been working on the words on them and, uh, I had called my dad and said, Hey, can I, can I see you on Saturday? You know? And on Wednesday night, I'm reading my amends to my sponsor and she's like, you know, Crystal, something's not right here. Like something's just not sitting right. And, and we could tell, like, it wasn't the words, there was something wrong with it. She said, okay, why don't you just go to God, be quiet and, and, and ask what's, what's wrong here. And the next day I call her on Thursday and I'm like, you know, I like, this is what's coming to me is that I'm still angry with him. Like the, the, the words are all fine, but the spirit of the amends is, you know, okay, fine. I have to clean up my side of the street, so I'm going to do it. But you know what you did. You know that you disappointed me and that you were not the dad you should have been. And, and you know, that's your part, but I'm just going to clean up my side. That was the spirit in which I was writing, you know, and I didn't, and I knew that that was not the spirit in which I wanted to make amends. And I remember at this point, you know, we realized like, this is not about rejigging the words. This is about going back to the core to remove the actual resentment. And I remember at this point, it was Friday night and I'm saying to my sponsor, I'm like, I'm meeting my dad tomorrow. Like, what's, what's going to change in less than 24 hours, you know? And she said, go to God, Crystal. Like, take this to God. But don't say, you know, don't ask God for the right words or how to make the amends. Ask God to help you see your dad differently. And I'm not even joking. The next morning, um, I, I called my sponsor in tears. Like, God had shown me what the true nature of my harms were to my dad. It wasn't about accepting my dad for who he was. It was about seeing the true nature of my harm. And what I realized is my pattern is that I, I expect, first, I actually noticed this for myself. I set a bar for myself for things I cannot do. Like I expect myself to do something I cannot do. And then when I don't do it, I berate myself and I look at myself with such disappointment. It is a horrible, horrible way to live. And I had spent 30 years doing that to my dad. My dad, whatever he had to give me, he gave it all. He gave it. He didn't have to. He gave me everything he had to give. And what I was expecting of him were things he did not have to give me. And because he didn't have those things to give me, I did not value a single thing that he did give me. And I know what that feels like because I do it to myself. And this was the first time it dawned on me that I've been doing that to my dad. He's been on the receiving end of that for 35 years of his life for, the, for as long as I've been alive, you know, and, and I just didn't want to be that way anymore. And finally, I was able to pray with all my heart, like, God, please, I don't care what happens today. I don't care, you know, however, anything else turns out in my life. I just don't want to be like this anymore to myself, to my dad or anybody else please remove this from me. And when I had that sincere prayer come out of my heart, that was when I made a real amends to my dad. And, and that amends, like the words didn't change very much, but the, the spirit of the amends was completely different. And I used to hate my dad and I used to have to protect myself from my dad and I don't anymore. I genuinely, genuinely love him. And today I can, I can appreciate and not just appreciate, I, I, I cherish the way that he, he loves me. When he comes to my apartment and says, Crystal, why is there a scratch on your laminate? Why is there, you know, have you cleaned your microwave? What, what is, what's wrong with this? And I, what, have you changed the oil on your car? And it's not criticism. That's his way of loving me, of caring about me. And I receive it with joy. And hopefully, hopefully that's helpful. Thank you, Miriam Riska, for your question.
Melissa C., your turn. Hi, thanks. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service this morning. Thank you to all the panelists. It was really excellent. Um, my, my question is specifically for the last panelist. I think it was Kara L. Um, you talked about um, like uh, having to do with work and um, maybe like proving yourself at work and overdoing and um, I'm just curious, you know, because I, I can really relate to that, and I'm just curious, like, now living living in this way, right, um, do you find that when you no longer do that, it's not received with um, such joy in the workplace? Like, I, I, I'm just curious for your perspective and how you, um, how you work your program around perhaps the fact that maybe bosses don't love um, workers that aren't out there trying to, to win their approval. Um, thanks. I'll pass. Kara L., would you like to respond, please? Sorry, Leah, I was uh, muted. I was talking mm -hmm. away. <laughs> Hi, this, uh, thank you, Melissa, great question. Um, I find that I, I'm finding today what I thought my bosses wanted from me. It, you know, it, you know, today it's just, you know, being in recovery, I'm so much more a pleasant person. I'm so much easier to work with because I'm not, I'm not figuring out everybody's job and, you know, telling them, you know, judging them and always trying to be better than uh, today, you know, a lot of times I don't, you know, I tell my bosses is like, Hey, I don't need to know that. I used to think I had to know everything. Oh, what's going on? You know, my work, there's, there's a lot of drama sometimes. And I wanted to be in the midst of it. I wanted to know everything. And today my boss will say to me, she'll start in on something and she'll go, Oh, I'm sorry. You don't want to know about the drama, do you? And I'll be all, thank you. No, I don't. And I'm just, you know, it's not that my level of, of work has gone down or what I get done. It's just that I am so much more a pleasant person. You know, I am, I am a service now instead of, you know, being judgmental and bossy and it has to be done this way. I, I find myself many times saying to myself now, like when somebody does something and it's not the way I would do it. And I just, you know. I might, I have to take that pause. Sometimes I have to write up an inventory, right? And I take that pause and I say, oh, you know, I have no idea, God, you're right. I have no idea. Maybe that's the way it needs to be done. And I step back and I allow others to blossom and do things. And, you know, it, it, it now people come to me because they know, I, I don't know, I changed then they changed. And, and, and I'm grateful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C., for the question. Lisa B., your turn. Hi, it's Lisa B. Um, I have a question. We lost you there, Lisa B.
Sorry about that. Um, I have a question for Crystal about um, you said that um, how does how God protects you? And my question is, I'm I feel like I'm often trying to protect myself, like in, like I'm in fear a lot of the time as far as emotionally trying to protect myself. Um, can you explain how you don't do that anymore and how God protects you? Crystal, you've been Hi, sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, thanks, Lisa. Yes, this was, this was a really big one for me. In all of my relationships, I would, you know, I'd protect myself. So, um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. So there was there was one time when my family uh, wanted to go out for dinner, and my family eats very, very late. You know, I, I eat my dinner around 6 o'clock. They eat around, like, 8 or 9 o'clock, and it's all, you know, it's always a problem because, you know, I, I, they eat all, you know, throughout the whole day, so they're never hungry, and I'm, I, I eat my three meals a day, you know, and so there's a couple of times where that's caused problems, and so I said to my mom and dad, I'm like, you know what, I'll come with you to the restaurant, but I'm not going to eat with you. I'm going to eat my dinner at six. Um, I'll come with you to the restaurant and just, you know, enjoy your company, but, you know, I'll just eat my dinner at home, and my mom just would not accept that. She was like, no, this is a family dinner, and you must eat with us. And, uh, you know, she just would not accept that that was my decision to, you know, eat, um, eat before the meal. And so my, the way I protect myself is I just, you know, draw a line and I'm like, no, mom, like, you, you know, you guys are never on time and I need to eat my meal by 6 p.m. So I am going, like, that is my decision, respect it. Like, I start to use that voice. I start to treat her like, you know, just like, yeah, just like someone who's on the receiving end of, I don't know, uh, you know, just, just like program talk, do you know what I mean? And, um, and I just kept drawing the line like darker and darker to be like, stop pushing me. I've made my decision, respect it. And where that was coming from was a place of fear. I will not be a doormat. You will not push me around. You will not make me do something I don't want to do. And my mom, you know, she was coming at me and was just like, okay, don't, you know, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, in fact, I will come with you early to the restaurant. We'll, we'll order your food ahead of time so that, you know, and, uh, dad and my sister will come a little bit later so you won't be late. You'll still eat with us. And, and, and I just kept getting irritated to say, why won't you just accept my answer? No, I'm going to eat at home. And then anyway, so I call, I call my sponsor. I do the work around it. I really look at my pardon, and my sponsor points out to me, Crystal, don't you see your whole family is bending over backwards because they want to eat with you? They're accommodating you. And that was the first time I realized, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't need to protect myself. They love me and want to spend time with me. They don't want to jeopardize my abstinence. They don't want to hurt me in any way. They want to spend time with me, and they're willing to change their behavior and their ways to do that. And that was when I realized I'm protecting myself against something that doesn't exist. And so I, in, I went over to my mom's house, and usually whenever I say sorry to my mom, it's horrible. It's like we spend the whole rest of the evening with silent treatment and everything. And I didn't say sorry. I ran up to her, and I hugged her, and I said, Mom, thank you. Thank you for doing all this just so that I could eat with you. You know, I really, really appreciate it. And we had a wonderful evening having dinner, you know. So it was just recognizing, what, like, my way of protecting myself is usually I will draw lines in the sand. I will repeat my line over and over. I'll get sterner and sterner and, and hold my position. And what's so helpful is when I take it to the steps and I take it to God and I talk it through with my sponsor, they help me to see it from a different perspective, to see how the world, I'm not fighting for my life. The world is not against me. God has already got my back. God has already got my abstinence. And other people are just trying to love me and be with me. And the moment I can let go of that, I don't need to do anything else. I can just be me. I hope that helps. 
Thank you, Lisa B., for the question. Cheryl P., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Cheryl P. Can you hear me? I hear you. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, First, I want to thank all the panelists. I think, you know, it was really great, great speeches this morning. Um, This question I have is directed at Crystal. Um, When she was doing her step four and five, she had mentioned her sponsor had, had recommended her ask to ask herself three questions. Um, regarding her relationship with her mom. One was, how did I retaliate? And the another was, how am I like her? And there was a third question, and I was just wondering what the third question was and how did you answer the last two questions for yourself, if you don't mind. Thank you. Hi, thank you for the question. <clears throat> so actually, my sponsor had given me uh, a list of um, a more than more than three questions. So there were uh, 11 um, questions on there that I, I put through for every resentment. I found them very helpful. Um, please feel free to contact me after, and I'm happy to share them. I know they've really, really like been a, like such a, a transformational uh, piece for me. But the three that really stood out to me, especially in my relationship with my mom, from those questions was first, did I did I try to retaliate, fight back, or run? What was the result, and did it help? The second was, has this resentment ever benefited you in any way, or have you squandered hours thinking about the resentment? And the third one was, do I recognize that my mom has the same problem with life that I have, and that she too is spiritually sick? So for me, when I looked at, you know, the, I think you said the last two questions, how did the resentment benefit me? Oh my gosh, like I got so much out of this resentment from my mom. I realized that, you know, because I resented my mom, it allowed me to treat her horribly, these completely irresponsible, completely inconsiderate, selfish, and justify all of it. It gave me somebody to blame. Oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't pursue an, uh, a degree in arts and, and pursue, an, you know, fashion design because my mom never appreciated it and she wanted me to go into business. It's not because I didn't believe I was good enough in myself. Or I didn't want to take the risk, you know. I blamed her for everything. It was so easy to blame her. You know, um, and it was so easy to use that as an excuse to treat her badly. Um, it also got allowed me to sit in so much of self-pity. You know, poor me, poor me. Look, my mom doesn't love me, you know, because that's so much more comfortable than saying, you know, my mom loves me so much and that, that puts an onus on me or to, to, to respond and reciprocate in kind, you know. So that was one. And then do I see that my mom has the same problem with life as I do? Oh, my gosh. It was so amazing to open my eyes and realize that my mom and me are so similar we both grew up overweight we both just want other people to love us we both when when we are hurt we respond in the same way we we you know we sort of ball up and try and protect ourselves my mom does that too you know uh when whenever she uses guilt and manipulation i'm the queen of guilt and manipulation i can take hers and you know like hers is nothing compared to mine you know the fact that I also realized like the way she made me feel like, or I thought she made me feel that she preferred my cousin or my sister to me. I did the same thing to her with my teachers and my aunt, you know, I realized we both have the same problem. We're just afraid that others won't love us. And we try to protect ourselves from pain. That's all we do. But my mom, 
unlike me, she, she genuinely loved me my whole life. And I just missed it. You know, so I found those, like the 11 questions really, really helpful. Those three made the biggest difference. And if you'd like, I, I'm more than happy to share. Just feel free to call and text me. I'm on the Vision for You member list. It's Crystal with a K. Thank you, Cheryl P., for your question. Next question comes from Carrie Jean B. Star one to unmute. Good morning. Um, thanks for... Thank you to each one of you so much for sharing your strength, hope, and experience. Um, my question, I'm so sorry, I forgot your name for the for the guy who shared. Um, it really struck me about that your, your wife was about to leave. And I think of myself in last year, um, I came right up to the edge of like my marriage falling apart. And so grateful for OA and for this recovery, but I would just like to ask, because you made amends and you worked through that, I can't even imagine, you know, to be right on the brink like that and to work through that, um, did you find challenges on rebuilding trust? And um, I'm guessing, you know, addicts often are not going to be people that are honest or, or follow through on what they say they're going to do. And, and um, you know, how did you work through that and and just I would I would just love to hear if, if that's okay if you could share on that. Thank you. Russ M. Star one ton mute Russ. Man, this star one. I gotta do a ten step on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Gertrude. I appreciate it. Um yeah, it was it was it was on the brink, man. You know, um, you know, I pretty much lost everything, but I, I allowed this disease in my way. The way I acted, to, like it's going to steal my family. Like that's my greatest accomplishment. That was my greatest wish in this world, to be married and to have children. And I just couldn't do it. That's the thing that put me over the edge, which was great. It's a great thing. Best thing ever happened. Now I get into program. And um, I'm becoming a new person, and, you know. I'm, but now I'm out of the food. I'm not medicating, so things are raw. So yeah, there's going to be hiccups. We're going to have arguments. So she still want to leave in certain times, and I want to leave because I'm not. I, you know, it, we had a lot of reconstruction. The 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 relationship had to be, you know, restored, redone. We had to go back and do a couple things. You know, we had to go back and face things. I had to face things. I had to correct things. I had to make them right. And that's it's hard. It's hard to do that. There's emotions. And I don't want to hear that I hurt you because now I'm recovery dude. I'm the guy in, in recovery. And now I'm a good guy. But, like you know, that <laughs> it doesn't exonerate me from all the, the stuff that I put you through. So I had to face that. And I had to work through it. And it's it's still an everyday thing. I mean, it's much, much, much better. It's it's incredible, you know. I, I we're not perfect. We aren't. Look, we're Sicilians. You know, we're hot headed. I'm, you know, I, I still have an emotional part that I have to grow out of. And my wife too. We both do that, but we're getting better because we're working at it. And um, when, when I say we're working at it, I'm doing what I got to do. You know, I'm doing. I'm taking responsibility for my actions. 
and my wife communicates to me what I can do better. And it's not, she's not harping on me. It's a matter of brush, you know, you're a little gruff in the way you're saying this. You know, you could you could do that better. If you you know, if you approach the kids this way, you know, you're not gonna have as much kickback. You know, she's helping me and we work we're working together as a unit and it, it is hard. It's difficult. It's not an easy thing, but it can be restored. You know, God can restore anything, man. He's still in a miracle working business. And that that's what I could really truly say about that. It it was a it was a lot of hard work and I was raw and I was emotional, a lot of tears. A lot lot you know, a lot of work or resentments coming up. But it's getting better. And so, you know, hopefully if I I'll have everything figured out by about ten minutes after I'm in bed. So you know, we have time. I hope you know, it's 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 going pretty well. But if it wasn't for for working the steps in this way of life, it wouldn't be that way. I'd be alone. So thank you very much. There's hope. Don't give up. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie Jean, for your question. We have time for probably two questions. Anyone else with something on their mind? Sandy S. from Asheville. Sandy S. This is Larry. And Larry. Okay, Sandy, go ahead with your question, please. Yes, any of the panelists. I find that I use selfishness as a way to beat the crap out of myself. That I'm just wondering, I am selfish, that's for sure. And I've hated myself for being selfish. But hating myself for being selfish is not going to help me have that removed. So I'm just interested in how, if other people have had a similar experience or how they've dealt with that, using the program to beat the crap out of myself because I'm not what I should be according to my standards. Thank you. Thank you. Which panelists would like to respond? Anyone have Leah, experience? Is, <laughs> Selfish. Hi, Leah. This yes. is Kara. Go ahead. <laughs> experience with selfishness, just a little, a little bit. Um, you know, I, for me, the big change that came, the re, the emotional rearrangement that came was with that word. Um, just using when I use the word instead of a state. You know, today I look at selfishness as a state of being. You know, where am I in self? And and then there's something, you know, with my higher powers, I can ask for help with it, you know. And knowing that when I'm approval-seeking, it's selfish, right? When When I am in that mode, I'm not of service. And, you know, the word selfish is today, I used to think it as a moral judgment on me. You know, that's how I used to think it is, that, that selfish was a moral judgment. But today I look at it and I say, it's a state of being. How am I in self? And then when I move to that point, I can just say, okay, God, I'm human. I'm in self here. How can I best serve thee and my fellows and my friends and my family? And I, I take it through the inventory process. And I, and I get to see in the end, how can I be of service? You know, how can I move forward? And 
in the light and the love of my higher power? Where is my compassion, my you know my tolerance? Um, you know, I end my meditation every every day with God. Show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. And when I'm in that state of being, you know, I the world is is beautiful. I'll pass with that. Thank you so much for the question. Thank you, Sandy S. And our final question for this morning comes from Larry Kay. Oh, that's really dangerous. That's bad, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for your service, Leah. So I'll just uh, pose this to Russell. Russ, um, and again, I got on a bit late. My apologies. So I did not hear all the beautiful stuff. I'll go back and listen to it later. However, did hear Russ uh, when I jumped on here. Um, you, Russ, you've been around the block too. Did you? So when when people, uh, you know, they're they're just not getting this. They're not getting well. The obsession's not being lifted. I've heard Leah say it gets eradicated. So I stole that from her, like I steal lots of things because that's my experience. The obsession is eradicated. It's driven out. Um, when when that's not happening for people. You know, you work with some people. What's your opinion on that? Um, can you speak to that, Russ, about, you know, people that are trying their, their best, but that obsession is just not being lifted? Um, can you speak to that at all, Russ, on your thoughts about it? Sure. Thanks, I appreciate it. Now, uh, I like to preface this, that I ain't no pro at this. I'm only what what my four years of it. Four and a half years of experience on working with, you know, I, I think I worked with about a hundred people over that time, and you know, they come in 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 the hundreds, right, and even the ninety nines. And some of the glitches that I've seen, I this, I, I could be next. Please know, I could be next. This is not, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or judge. It's just sometimes it's a step one problem. Step three problem, and I find when the the inventory says in the big book, if we don't do this inventory thoroughly, we're going to die. Does that mean we could have a spiritual death? That means battling this addiction until, you know, you get your leg and foot amputated because you're diabetic or you have multiple heart attacks. So I see the most hiccups when working with somebody, I'm really uncomfortable answering this. I can't lie to that. Because, you know, I'm just a human being. I'll be the next one. I'll be the next one. I have no authority on it. I just see the at four and five. Now, I've had over years, I don't really have that many resentments. Or, you know, I don't have this sex conduct. Whatever. Maybe you don't. Or I don't have any fears. And when it's not thorough, you know, and, and then the, the fifth step, if that's not completed... And honesty and thoroughness, it says it. You know, you're going to, you're bound to drink, and you're going to go back to your substances because it's not not a hundred percent. And really, that invokes fear on me to live this way of life. You know, I have to do it. I have to do this. I have to do. I don't want to go back to that chaos. Not not so much the eating, but the the the, the, the craziness. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to lose what I have. So, you know, my reviews and then my 10 steps, utilizing the 10 step, you know, that can clear out 
you know, the fourth and fifth if you miss stuff. And utilizing, not be, being afraid to do that. That's that's what kept me sober. So, you know, a lot of, I don't know. That's where a lot, no, I do know. I've seen it. The glitch is at, at four and five, not a thorough inventory and not a thorough fifth step. So that's all I could say in my, with, with the men that I've worked with over the years. And I pray that, I, you know, that I could stay in this way of life, living it honestly, so I don't end up battling it that way. So, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you, Larry Kay, for your question. Thanks to everyone who posed questions this morning, and of course, thank you to our three panelists, Crystal P, Russ M, and Kara L. Thank you for your inspirational shares and giving so much of yourself and sharing about the remarkable transformations, change of ideas, attitudes, and emotions that are possible through this spiritual work of this 12 steps. Thank you so very much. Share ID once again for this morning, 17,281-17281. We're going to close now from page 164. Of course, you know it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.